This film is lit. The podcast where we finally settle the score on one simple question. Is the book really better than the movie? I'm Brian, and I have a film degree, so I watch the movie, but don't read the book. And I'm Katie. I have an English degree, so I do things the right way and read the book before we watch the movie. So prepare to be wowed by our expertise and charm as we dissect all of your favorite film adaptations and decide if the silver screen or the written word did it better. So turn it up, settle in, and get ready for spoilers, because this film is lit. Every neighborhood has a dark secret if you're willing to dig deep enough. Luckily, Kevin Bacon has a shovel and a marriage to destroy. It's Stir of Echoes, and this film is lit. Hello and welcome back to This Film's Lit, the podcast where we talk about movies that are based on books. It is another patron request from Winchester's Forever. The film is 1999's Stir of Echoes, based on the 1950s? 58, I want to say. 58 novel by Richard Matheson, author of other things you may know, such as I Am Legend. A Stir of Echoes is the name of that book. Before we get started, I just wanted to mention that we just put out a brand new bonus patron-only episode at the $5 and up level over on patreon.com slash thisfilmislit. Katie and I spent two and a half hours breaking down Tyler Perry's acrimony. Uh, if you want to hear our thoughts, if you're a good, bad, or bad, bad fan and and enjoyed the Temptation episode, it's very similar, just no video. Uh, we <laughs> spent a long time uh, breaking down Tyler Perry's acrimony, uh, and it's out now. So go check that out on Patreon.com. Let's get into the episode. Uh, and we have all of our segments, so we're going to get right into it with our first segment. Let me sum up. Let me explain. There is too much. Let me sum up. A Stir of Echoes by Richard Matheson. Tom Wallace is an ordinary man living with his pregnant wife, Anne, and young son, Richard, in a normal working class neighborhood. Their neighbors are the rude womanizer, Frank, and his quiet wife, Elizabeth, the brazenly sexual Elsie and her pushover husband, Ron, and their landlords, Harry and Mildred Sentis. One night, while at a party at Elsie's, Anne's visiting brother, Phil, who is studying psychology, hypnotizes Tom. At first, it seems like a great party trick, but Tom soon discovers some lingering, unwanted after-effects. He appears to have become a psychic medium. Tom and Anne's lives are upended as, over the course of the next few weeks, Tom finds himself able to read some of their neighbors' minds, kind of, He predicts horrific events, and he continually sees the apparition of a ghostly, dark-haired woman in their living room. After Elizabeth snaps and shoots her husband Frank, an event that Tom predicted, he decides that everything will be better if he can just figure out what the ghost wants. He hosts a seance to try and talk with the ghost, who turns out to be his landlady's sister, Helen. He is possessed by her spirit, who implies that her brother-in-law, Harry, killed her to cover up their affair. 
However, when Tom crawls beneath the house and finds her decaying body, Elizabeth comes over with a gun and confesses to the murder, as Helen was also apparently having an affair with her husband. Tom and Anne narrowly escape her violent attempt to further cover up her crime, and the novel ends with Elizabeth in jail and Tom and Anne having a baby girl with Tom's psychic powers apparently gone. All right. I was not paying attention, so I hopefully didn't get anything spoiled. <clears throat> also, something weird in our apartment was making noise, and I don't know what that was. Spooky. It stopped, so <laughs> whatever. All right. The movie. Tom is a middle-aged man who's grown disillusioned with his mundane life with his pregnant wife and young son. He had dreams of becoming a famous musician, but has given up on those to provide a stable income as a utility worker. At a neighborhood party, Tom is goaded into being hypnotized by his sister-in-law. During and, during and after the hypnotism, Tom begins to see disturbing flashes of a young girl and eventually becomes obsessed with the visions and discovering their meaning. We also come to realize that Tom's son, Jacob, also has a similar ability to see-slash-speak with spirits. As Tom becomes obsessed with unraveling this mystery, it, it drives a wedge into his marriage. We also take a brief aside to find out that one of Tom's neighbor's high school-aged sons shot himself unexpectedly. Uh, I say unexpectedly, Tom is, does foresee this in a, in a vision, um, but is unable to stop it from happening. Eventually, Tom tears his entire house apart and ultimately finds the body of the woman he's been seeing buried in his basement. Upon touching her corpse, he sees her final moments, which reveal that she was murdered by several of the neighborhood boys, including the one who shot himself earlier in the film. Tom reveals his discovery to his neighbors, including the son or the father of uh, the one of the boys involved in the murder. Which results in the conspiracy being blown open, Tom and Magni nearly dying at the hands of one of the other boy's fathers, uh, but they are saved by Frank, who is the father of the boy who shot himself, uh, who shows up at the last minute, even though we thought he killed himself with, out of guilt. He didn't, because uh, he was covering up this crime the whole time. He didn't do that. He ends up saving the day and shooting the other father who was going to murder Tom and Elizabeth. Maggie. Maggie. Uh, uh, ba ba and that uh, that saves the day. The the everything's exposed. I assume the cop. We don't see the fallout, but you assume that the police are brought in to handle the rest of the situation. Tom, Maggie, and Jake then move out, and hopefully on to greener pastures. But the final scene is Jacob hearing the voices of we presume the dead in the new neighborhood that they're moving into. That's. Everything that happens, roughly. Mm -hmm. So there you go. All right, we have two characters for Guess Who, so let's go ahead and get to it. Who are you? No one of consequence. I must know. Get used to disappointment. Okay. All right, so neither of these are technically characters that are in the movie, but Great. they both have character parallels Analogs. in okay. the movie, so I think you'll be okay. She was in her 30s. Pale, her hair in black disarray. She was wearing a strange, dark dress with a single strand of pearls at her throat. Oh, her hair in disarray. Okay, this could be... This could be the murder victim. Uh, who in the, in, the, in the movie is a younger girl. Uh, I don't know how old. High school, middle school age, yeah, high school yeah, age. High school age yeah. is what I got. Um, and she's not wearing a dress uh, or have pearls, but there is something sort of creepy about this imagery. Uh, pale, uh, the, the hair being in disarray. 
Um, and then the strange dark dress and the single strand of pearls. Something about that s- speaks to me of uh, maybe the murder victim, the ghost. So I'm going to say that that is, <clears throat> which in the movie her name is? Samantha. Is it? Yeah. Okay. I'm going to say that that's that character. Yeah, you're right. In the Boom. book, her name is Helen, and she is not a high schooler. It's a different scenario. Yeah, it's a different we'll, scenario. We'll get to that. But it's still, it is the murder victim. And our other one. She was heavy, and the tight blue jeans she wore did nothing to conceal it. She was wearing a brown leather jacket, and there was a faded yellow ribbon like a streak of butter through the drabness of her brunette hair. She wore shell rim glasses. I no idea based on, on this one. Um, I cannot think of any characters that would remotely track on this, at least visually. Let alone, I'm trying to think. I mean, you know, okay, I, I just kind of process of elimination here. I don't think it's his wife, um, uh, Elizabeth, uh, Maggie, whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think it's the sister-in-law, although I guess it could be. I don't think it's any of the neighbors. It doesn't strike me as any of the neighbors. Maybe Frank's wife. Maybe. And there's not really under any other women characters that are irrelevant. There's not that many characters in this movie. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of people at the party, but there's only like four that we pay attention to. I'm going to say that that's Frank's wife. No, I'm going to. Yeah, I'm going to say that's Frank, Frank's wife. I have no idea. It's the babysitter character. Oh, Okay. There is that. I forgot about the babysitter. Mm-hmm. That doesn't really nothing about that really. Yeah, tracks onto the really babysitter very similar at all. to what we see in the movie. <laughs> is she maybe wearing a brown coat? Maybe. maybe, maybe. She does not have a ribbon. She's not particularly heavy. She's not. I mean, she's probably wearing jeans. She doesn't have glasses. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Cool. <laughs> that one was impossible. I just would have had to get completely lucky. I feel like on that one. All right, we're going to go ahead and find out. Was that in the book? Nicholas Flamel is the only known maker of the Philosopher's Stone. The what? Honestly, don't you two read? So the first question I had was right at the beginning is the kid uh, during the right on the open. uh, Jacob, the son, uh, turns and is talking. It appears to camera. Mm hmm in a way that it feels like it's breaking the fourth wall. And it's kind of meta breaking the fourth wall. Like it's not because he's actually, we find out speaking to the spirits, but he does it down the barrel of the camera. And a lot of the stuff he says could be interpreted as like, he's talking to the audience, at least in some of the earlier shots. Like he says like, Oh, what are you doing there? Or something like, yeah, there's some dialogue that errs lines that make it feel like he could be breaking the fourth wall. Which I thought was interesting, and I wanted to know if they pulled any of that inspiration from the book. Because that's something... So we'll talk a lot over the course of this. The comparisons to The Shining are plentiful um, mm-hmm. a- a- in lots of ways. Uh, but I did think that was a an interesting little twist, having the, the creepy kid <laughs> talking to the audience, yeah. potentially. Um, so that's not an element that's from the book. They do have a son, like the the main couple that we follow, but I think he's supposed to be a few years younger, like maybe one or two, as opposed oh, okay. to like 
he read to me so like four or five age. in the book in the movie yeah i would say yeah, yeah he's so like not, not really speaking like starting to speak but not like to where he is in the movie um a ghost does talk through him at one okay. point in the book which does happen in the movie um and it is implied that he might have similar psychic powers to his father but he doesn't directly talk to the ghost slash the audience like he does in the movie. Okay. Uh, this is a particular line, and I guess I'm, I'm, I'm wondering more about I – I am wondering about the line, uh, but also just, I guess, kind of more vaguely this whole sort of thematic through, through point uh, in, the, in the movie. Um, but this specific line, the delivery of it by Kevin Bacon at the beginning of the movie is so good and heartbreaking. He says – uh, hey, when I met you or when we met and I told you I was going to be somebody and that I was going to do something, I just want you to know I wasn't feeding you a line and his delivery of it is crushing mm-hmm. and sad. <laughs> and so this is the beginning of this. The, the, I mean, this is the main scene where they set this up. Um, and then the movie kind of goes at it in a very interesting way that we'll discuss later. But this is the movie sets up the the theme that Kevin Bacon's character is sort of hitting like not a midlife crisis necessarily, but is is having a an, a bit of an existential crisis and yeah. realizing that his life hasn't turned out the way he yeah. expected that it would. That kind of crushing realization that it's probably too late for him to achieve those dreams yeah, that he had. Because his dreams that he had was, you know, he was going to be like a rock star or, mm-hmm. or at least some sort of sex, successful mus- musician and that sort of thing. Uh, and he, you know, like I mentioned in the in the let me sum up he has abandoned those dreams in order to get a you know a more sustainable um job and yeah his delivery of this is crushing mm-hmm. and it's i just yeah i wanted to know if that's from the book so that specific line is not from the book nor is i would not say that that theme okay. is present in the book either tom and his wife who is maggie in the movie but Anne in Anne. the book okay. they're clearly working class in both the book and the movie, but the book I think takes a much more like 1950s. Oh right, view I completely forgot that. this was written in the 50s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it's never, at least not as I read it, it's never a source of disappointment or conflict between these two. It's just who they happen to be, and I honestly suspect that the reason they are working class in the book is so that it makes sense for them to be living in a rental home. Yeah. Because, I mean, and even then, yeah, they have to be distinctly, in the 50s, you yeah. had to be distinctly lower, yeah, lower middle class. Yeah, you know, in the 50s, even if you're, like, edging yeah. towards the middle class, yeah. you, you have a nice little prefab home in a yeah. suburb somewhere. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you're not living in a little rental. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Like I said, I completely forgot this took place in the 50s originally. Um, or I assume that's the setting. Yeah. So they, they don't seem um, Tom works in like a factory in the book. See, That's surprising, though, that and it I, never goes into any kind of detail exactly about like what exactly he does. He just works at the factory. Yeah. Working at the factory is I mean, that's what fucking everybody yeah. did back then. It's and it is stuff. a little interesting because it is I mean, most factory workers at the time, I, I think I could be wrong about this, could, in fact, generally, depending on what you're doing, I guess, and mm-hmm. where you were or whatever and other factors, um, I, factory workers, a lot of the time I felt like were able to afford to buy a house, but I could be wrong. Uh, and again, I, I guess it depends very much by where and 
you know, lots of other factors. Yeah. But yeah, but I mean, they are working class, but it does not seem to bother them okay. in the book. It's not a, it's not a point of existential crisis no. for the main character. Gotcha. Yeah, that line, I I was very impressed. We did read about people saying that Kevin Bacon's performance in this movie was good, and it, I I agree. I thought overall mm-hmm. he did a, an excellent job. Yeah, um, yeah, very convincing. It's I mean, it's not like transcendent or like wild on the level of like jack nicholson in the shining like it's not that level of like although that does have a lot more scene chewing in it i think mm-hmm. than kevin bacon's performance in this his is a little more restra- a little it's still got a lot of the similar <laughs> like over the top kind of you know losing grasp of reality type of moments um but it's a little less scene chewy not that that's a bad thing in that. Anyways, we've discussed that at length before. All right. So after he gets hypnotized, uh, he comes home and he sees, he's still kind of, you know, feeling weird from that experience. Uh, and that later that night, him and his wife start having sex. And he has a weird vision panic attack mid-sex. Mm-hmm. And they have to stop because he's, like, freaking out. And I want to know if that scene now, knowing it had took place in the fifties, I would say probably not. It doesn't sound I mean, like a you. You would point. be correct <laughs> on that. Uh, it's not dissimilar to something that happens in the book. I mean, it is, but in the book, that first night after he's been hypnotized, he can't sleep because his thoughts are racing and he can't stop remembering like random things that he hasn't thought about in years. Yeah. But they are not having sex. And he does not have any violent visions of murder, and he does not have a panic attack. That is interesting. So, ult- I, I guess I, I'll, I, I guess we'll get to this kind of ultimately when we get to where the plot sort of diverges from the book, in terms of like the mystery or whatever. Mm-hmm. But uh, so you said he doesn't have any visions of a murder, like the murder or whatever. That's like exclusively what he has visions of in yeah. the movie. And he doesn't have any visions of like things from his past or whatever. At least it doesn't seem like it. Um, he does have some other, sorry, that's not true. He does have some other like hallucination type things, including one we're about to talk about of other stuff, but it's not, we, we don't get like, it doesn't seem like we get like flashback type mm-hmm. memory stuff. And then, uh, is that mostly what the book is or does the book have this the ultimate mystery of like him having this I mean it it does interesting have that that mystery of like the ghost and who is this ghost woman right. and what happened to her and why is she in our living room okay but I don't know that I would call that the focus of the book interesting that makes sense I can see that I I don't know if it was supposed to be the focus of the book. To me, the book felt much more concerned with kind of just generally exploring the idea of someone who is hypnotized and then wakes up with like weird powers, so to speak. Yeah. And I think the movie does start that well. Like for sure, that's kind of how it starts with Kevin Bacon, and mm-hmm. then and then it more eventually centrally focuses in on this ghost and what's going on with that, because that the movie needs a plot. Yeah, but it is that does sound more a little bit more like to some extent what you're describing sounds a little more similar, honestly, to The Shining in the sense yeah. of like it's not. There's not like a a, a a singular underlying like mystery that that Jack is, you know, yeah. that is driving Jack's actions or whatever in in The Shining. It is just sort of the neurosis of what's going on with him and, you know, whether that it be because of, you know, 
supernatural forces or his own mind or whatever. It does sound this that it sounds like potentially the book is more akin to that in in being more of just an exploration of yeah I mean what and, that would be like as opposed to yeah in the movie being so plot driven all of the experiences that the main character Tom has tie back to this central idea of like the the ghost and the murdered girl and what happened with that. Whereas in the book, there's a lot of other stuff that happens with him that doesn't relate to the ghost at all. Interesting. Okay. So um, speaking of stuff that doesn't really relate to the ghost, there is a, a, some of that <clears throat> at the beginning with Tom when he first gets uh, hypnotized, including this scene. And I want to know if this came from the book. We talked about this in the prequel about how they did this practically with some sleight of hand and stuff where uh, Kevin Bacon walks up to he's freaking out. and He goes to the mirror in the bathroom and he sees blood in his mouth, and then he looks at his tooth, and he pulls his own tooth out of his mouth, uh, and it's uh, it's gnarly and creepy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wanted to know if that scene was in the book, him pulling his tooth out of his head. It's not in the book. So they came up with some yeah. no, fun no visual uh, horror for us, some body horror for us. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, uh, is he extremely thirsty as a side effect of his hypnosis neurosis? <laughs> Like, is that because that's the thing in the movie all the time, whenever he has these these visions afterwards, he becomes very thirsty. And I don't mean sexually. I mean, like physically, (laughs) like he needs to drink stuff. Um, It's not something that comes back throughout the book, but he does mention being very thirsty, like right after coming out from under hypnosis. So the first time. yeah, Similar to how he does in the movie when he's like, I really need a drink. I really need a drink. Yeah. Uh, and then, but yeah, in the in the movie, it keeps coming back where when mm-hmm. he has particularly like vivid or or you know intense visions, he ends up like downing, yeah, the, like a whole beer or like orange juice and and all this sort of stuff. Interesting. So, does his kid suffer from creepy kid syndrome, uh, a la whatever the kid's name in The Shining is, and seem to know what's going on with him because he after he first comes back from being hypnotized the, the the kid starts talking to him and is like oh you can see now too like he's mm-hmm. like you know he's saying all this weird shit to him that very clearly indicates that the kid knows what's going on uh and yeah so does the kid like well you said he's younger so probably not but mm-hmm. go ahead um i kind of but not really okay is the answer to that so like i said it is implied in the book that his son might have similar powers-ish, but it's mostly shown through Tom, like, getting the sense that his son can sense how he's feeling. Yeah. Like, similar to how Tom seems to be able to sense some of his neighbors, like, thoughts and motivations. However, I will say that the part of the book where the ghost uses the baby to talk is easily the creepiest part in the whole book. Yeah. So I, I don't think that there's like a creepy kid thing going on yeah, in the book. Yeah, not throughout the whole thing. But the but... scariest part definitely involved the kid. Yeah. Uh, I think it is interesting. I think it does make a lot of sense for the movie to age him up to a, a speaking oh, yeah. age. And then because like you said, it sounds like in the book, a lot of what we get is more of tom Mm -hmm. you know our main character's thoughts and like about like you know he's we're we're hearing how he's feeling about situations about hearing his neighbors and hearing he can sense how his son feels about like whatever and that would be obviously very difficult yeah to get across 
in the, yeah, in the film. Yeah, and the, the book is in first-person yeah. narration, so we're really just in Tom's head the right. whole time, and that is super difficult to get across in film, yeah. as we've discussed before. So it makes very, it makes a ton of sense to, to age the kid up, let him be able to talk somewhat, and then yeah. only... And then and then expand his role so that because you said it is implied in the book that he you know mm-hmm. has these powers and stuff expand his role to be uh, more similar to Tommy what is it Tommy in oh, The Shining shoot. Um, whatever the kid's name yeah. in The Shining is uh, much no, more it's similar Danny Danny, Danny 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 yes uh, much more similar to Danny's role in The Shining yeah it, it, it kind of you know yeah I mean it's it's a common horror trope yeah to play off of. Um, so it works. The audience is going to understand what's going on with that right away. Yeah. Um, and since we can't just be in Tom's head and hear all of his thoughts. Yeah, I think it makes perfect sense to then use his son almost as a kind of like commentary piece. Yeah. Uh, to help us understand what's going on. Yeah. And I think it does it in a way that's interesting and, and unique enough that mm-hmm. it doesn't feel like a full-on copy like like Mm -hmm. as similar as this story is a lot in a lot of ways to the shining i never felt it doesn't ever feel like except for one moment which we'll talk about one thing one thing which we'll talk about here uh, in in just a a couple minutes um other than that thing i didn't feel overall like a full-on just rip you know like they're pulling some inspiration but it felt more like homages and moments as opposed to like a cheap knockoff you know what i mean Mm -hmm. one of the straight up if not the creepiest moment you know, barring jump scares or whatever, like mm-hmm. the creepiest moment, uh, it was, which which to me is more effective than something like a jump scare, which jump scares are cheap and easy. Yeah. This is like something effectively this is, creepy. This is a very chilling, horrific yeah, moment. Chilling, chilling her, yeah. That as that, someone who did a lot of babysitting, <laughs> yes, this is horrifying. Like literally, the most terrifying scene in the movie, uh, in my opinion, is the babysitter comes. They hire a babysitter because they're going uh, to the football game, like the local mm-hmm. football game that evening. And uh, <laughs> the babysitter's sitting there, and they, they, they're like, he's already asleep, and they left her the baby monitor uh, so she can listen to him. And she's listening to him breathe. On the, She can hear his breathing. Baby, on the monitors baby monitors are already creepy. Yes, they're already creepy. In particular, that one is very sensitive and must be sitting very close. I feel like you can't necessarily <laughs> hear them breathing, like, super loud. I, it, well, I don't know. I, I'm sure you can. It, hear them breathing it, it but depends yeah it was like a very like i mean that is part of the point of a baby monitor right. is that you can tell if your baby has stopped breathing but well yeah, yeah i thought it was mainly you can hear him yeah yeah that's fair that's fair that's totally fair um so anyway she can hear him breathing and uh i guess the thing is that in the movie there's no like noise with it like there's no like it's yeah it's just very the loud breathing. and it's just the breathing yeah and that's what was was weird to me yeah. like i would need like you need like that there's white no, noise no like white static noise or like it. anything with yeah like the room tone um anyway anyways so all of a sudden after he stops breathing and she's like focusing she's like oh oh shit <laughs> did he die did he die uh he she hears him say she's downstairs i think yeah. All of a sudden, this child is talking to someone. Yeah. And it's the most horrifying moment in the. Oh, that that would have been the end of the line for me. I would have been out. I would have been I gone. Would have been, I would have been out of the house yep. across the street, calling yep. the cops. Yep. Yep. I, I'm getting like literal chills thinking about it right now. I've I, never even like dealt with a baby monitor or just the idea of it is so terrifying. No, super terrifying. I no, I would have been across the street at the neighbor's house calling the police 
because I'm not going upstairs. Yeah. That, no, no, no it, way. It is legitimately one of the, and I don't watch a ton of horror movies, so I'm sure there are people who can think of a bunch of other examples of this, but this is one of the more effective just like single lines of dialogue that elicited a visceral like yeah ah, like <laughs> creeped out horrified response you know what i mean because it's it's one thing to do something like that visually or 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 even through like you know seeing even if it's not a jump scare like which this is a jump scare but the the scene that i always thought that i always sticks out in my mind is the scene from signs where the alien walks across mm-hmm. which is a jump scare but it's not like a traditional jump scare yeah um but it was so incredibly blown away. But I was so incredibly blown away by how effective just that simple, like yeah. a couple lines of dialogue based on the situation that they're in elicited such a strong, like well, flight or flight, fight or flight response <laughs> in me. I was like, oh my God. And two, like a lot of um, other horror properties that use babysitters do like a murderer is in the house right. kind of a thing. Which is, is that's fine. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 More slasher yeah. type movies. But having it be as opposed to like another voice coming through yes. the baby monitor, having it be the kid. Yeah. Terrifying. Yes. Yeah. It would like because you can imagine the scene in a different movie if it's which would still be creepy in its own way, but she's listening to the the baby monitor, she's breathing, mm-hmm. baby stops breathing, she's listening really close, and then. I'm coming for you. Like, yeah. like a weird, creepy, yeah. you know, like that's still creepy, but there's something next level about the kid talking to somebody that you can't see. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's so good. It's so good. I was so blown away by that moment. And I wanted to know if some screenwriter deserves a, a, a horror award for that one, <laughs> one moment in a movie, or if they got it from the book. Um, all credit to the screenwriter. Okay. It's, it's not in the book. I don't recall there being any mention of a baby monitor in the yeah, book. I don't know. Were they around? Uh, I looked that up because I, I had that thought, too. And baby monitors were invented in 1937. Okay. I couldn't find anything about, like, when they might have become more, like, commonplace yeah, they or probably accessible. Didn't become, yeah, prolific until, like, the 80s, 70s, 80s. I, I, I don't would know. Be my guess. But I don't, I don't know. know. Um, but, yeah, I, I don't recall any mention of them having a baby monitor even in the okay. book. So. Well, well done. Uh, I can't remember the guy. Uh, there were other people that worked on the screenplay, I'm sure, but whoever the whoever came up with that golf clap, <laughs> it's brilliant, so good. Uh, so moving on, we get to a point where uh, next day or something, uh, Kevin Bacon is hanging out. His wife is left for work. Oh no, she hasn't left for work. He wakes up. He's not been going to work because he's 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 been in this. He's just been out of it with mm-hmm. his psychosis or whatever. Uh, and he wakes up one morning. And we go through this whole chain of events where he finds some boot his boots, and then he sees a note from her saying she took uh, Jake to the park. Uh, and then he goes outside and sees a mailman, and then he ends up going down to. And I don't remember what necessarily. I don't even know if we know what causes him to walk down to his neighbor's house. Yeah, I don't remember. But and I, probably nothing, just like the yeah. spirit or whatever. Uh, you know, like his his psychicness. Um, and he ends up walking down in, into his neighbor's house, and his. Uh, neighbor's son is there and he sees him and he has a gun and he just shoots himself mm-hmm. and then kevin bacon wakes up well in the vision doesn't he shoot kevin bacon no he shoots himself no in the vision he because he, he points the gun at himself 100 percent. okay 100 percent. Right. yeah because we see him 
No, he. You he, remember this better than I do. Yeah, yeah, hundred yeah, percent. He put. We see him. He Kevin. He's like, "What are you doing with that gun?" And then he just points it at himself. Okay. And then we hear a gunshot and it cuts and Kevin Bacon wakes up, um, and then immediately starts going through the events and has like deja vu where he's like, "Please don't be under the," like he's like hoping his, uh, his boot isn't under the bed and, or the couch and it's there and then he finds the note in the same place yeah. and he walks outside and then things are slightly different and he's like maybe but then something happens and he's like nope it's the same thing and he runs over to his neighbor's house and hears a gunshot and it's like shit yeah it's a good it's a very effective cool like weird like trippy scene uh and i wanted to know if that whole sort of chain of events took place the fake out like because it is like a traditional trope like a traditional horror movie trope mm-hmm. like cr- something crazy happened oh it was, it was a, dream. a dream but then it actually yeah. happens the same way it was cool i liked that uh no that does not happen in the book there is something kind of similar ish that happens um later on in the book tom does start to have some like kind of more traditional like visions yeah. that predict the future and he does see his neighbor frank on the floor after having been shot and mm. that does come to pass and he doesn't but he, at the time he doesn't know what yeah at the time he's not sure like how what the events yeah what, what the events or at, you know at the time he's not even really sure like if that is actually predicting the future right so well, the same thing in the movie he doesn't know yeah. initially he's like yeah maybe it's not i don't know yeah okay cool so they took the idea of because he does see some future events because mm-hmm. that's yeah because that that is something that it's like the only time it really happens in the movie is that particular sequence because other than that he's mostly seeing but he's mostly previous, seeing like the past, the past yeah. or whatever um, but it, yeah in this moment he sees the future all right so we mentioned it earlier but uh, I said that you know like in overall the movie didn't feel like a, it was ripping off The Shining it just felt like an homage at moments but its own thing this particular thing <laughs> if it's not from the book. Uh, which we did talk about, I think, in the prequel or something, that um, this came out before The Shining, mm-hmm. and people have said that Stephen King took no small amount of inspiration from Richard Matheson for, like, The Shining. I, I can definitely see the... Yeah, so so yeah. even though the movie obviously came out after The Shining, the movie, the Sir of Echoes book came out before uh, right. The Shining, the book, and so the causation kind of goes, you know, both ways a little bit. Yeah. Um, depending on which medium, but uh, this particular thing felt very clearly like, okay, you're just doing the shining now. Uh, one, because it's a trope and two, Mm -hmm. because it's the exact same trope from the shining. And that is the magical black man who knows about what's going on, who just is there to, to, to kind of not give ant, like kind of hint at, at what's going on to our protagonists without telling yes. them and be, be spooky and magical. Yeah. The, the magical black character, um, is a, a too common trope. Yes. Um, in the, in the movie, it is a cop that they're they're They end yeah. up at the cemetery and there's a and police there's a, funeral. There's a police funeral and he's, he guess he's like a captain. Um, he has like a, it looks like the captain uniform. I oh, guess. sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then he walks over to Jacob and uh, Maggie and yeah. is talking to them and is like, oh, he can he, he, he's got the he literally is like, <laughs> yeah. he's got the shining. I've got the shining. He didn't get it from you. He must have got it from the dad. The dad must also have the shi-. like I was like, what is what, what is this? What's happening? Yeah, it was very weird and very much just the shining. Um, and I'm sure, like I said, it's it's a trope yeah. that's been in a million and, and, things. And it's but. and it's so much 
Like, it's a terrible trope, but it's so much tropier in this movie yeah. than it is in The Shining. Yes. Because at least in The Shining, we, like, follow that character yeah. for a little while. He's like and a he character. has, like, his own, like, backstory yeah. and, like, inner world. Yeah. This guy just, like, shows up to be like, that kid's got The Shining. Yep. And then we see him one more time, and then he never comes up again. Yeah. It's so strange. It's it so weird. It's so strange. And I wanted to know if that came from the book. And if, again, if, if The Shining was pulling that from the book or if this movie was pulling that from The Shining movie. <laughs> um, that is not in the book at all. Okay. So I would say that the movie was potentially pulling potentially, that obviously, yeah. from The Shining. Not that The Shining invented no. that trope. No. But um, there, there are definitely uh, enough similarities between these two stories to yeah. be like, okay, maybe that's where you got that. Yeah, from. I mean, there's enough similarities and the character is so strikingly similar in 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 the like the the way his dialogue plays mm-hmm. out and just everything. And again, other than like the Shining, uh, uh, <laughs> Scatman Carruthers in The Shining having a much more fleshed out, like, yeah. you know, is a much more fleshed out character than this guy is in this movie. I don't, we don't even find out his name or anything in this movie. I don't think we do. Um, yeah, we, he, we, he's in two scenes. He's in the cemetery scene and he's in the scene where the she goes to see him to get some yeah. information. Uh, and he's like at a. He's at some like a. He's in the some alley in a back room with some other guys doing like a the, he's in like garb, some sort of ceremonial like. I don't know what don't exactly know. that scene was supposed to be. I got the vibe that maybe that was like a gathering of people who, who had have like the psychic shining. powers. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But I, I really don't know what that scene was supposed to be exactly. Yeah. Um, but yeah. But after that, he's just never even mentioned again. No. Uh, so in the book, there is a doctor character who buys into the idea of humans having psychic powers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Tom goes to see him. And that's the scene where we get a lot of kind of similar-ish, like, explaining to the audience, like, like here's on. what might be going on. Yeah. Um, so I guess that's, like, the analog character. Mm-hmm. But it's nothing like what happens in the movie. Okay. Okay. Points off. You got major points for the the baby (laughs) monitor scene. Now points off for the magic black person trope. Screenwriter. (sighs) Uh, So this scene's fun in the movie. Uh, He she's talking about how her her grandma. I think it's her grandma. um, His wife, Mm -hmm. Tom's wife, is talking about how her grandma, her uncles, they're going to they got to take her back to the hospital or the home or whatever uh, because she's not doing well. And he starts saying. Oh, actually, she's and then he like stops himself because uh, he was about to say, oh, she's dead. She died. Yeah. Uh, and then the phone rings like two seconds later and it's her brother or whatever saying, hey, grandma died. And it's a it's a it's, it's an interesting scene. This is well to the point now at this at this point where things are deteriorating, deteriorating in their relationship mm-hmm. uh, because he is consumed by this trying to figure out what's going on with his visions and whatnot. And um They've kind of ruined his his ability to function as a human. Uh, it's an interesting scene. Does that happen in the book? Him per, of knowing about psychically knowing about her grandma dying before she does. There's a very similar scene. Uh, the big difference is that in the book, it's her mother mm. and not her grandmother. Uh, she gets a letter saying that her mother is getting sicker, and then he just like knows, and then she's like, "Go ahead and say it. I know you know." 
Um, and then the phone rings with the news that her mother has died, which is basically what happens in the movie, like you said. Yeah. Except I think in the movie it's not a letter but a fax, unless I saw that incorrectly. I'm like 99% sure I saw a fax come through. What was the fax? The Like the initial letter letting her know that um, her grandma was sick. Oh, I didn't see that. Yeah, it could have been. I well, yeah, I missed that part. Yeah, I'm like I'm 99 sure it was a fact. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure I saw a fact. Right time period. Yeah, just super 90s, and yeah. I love it. Yeah, I do think changing it though to her grandmother, at least in the movie, makes sense. And yeah. in it being less of a devastating, like it, her going to the funeral and him not like her going up for the funeral and him not coming. Like mm-hmm. with what we have happen at the end of this movie, like she goes to the, up to the funeral, he stays behind. Uh, she takes Jacob. Um, and then she comes back to, she's going to come back to get him. And that's how the, like when the whole climax takes place, I think switching it to her grandma makes sense in that it would cause a lot more strife and unnecessary like tension between them. If that had been her mother had died, because obviously her mother would be, it would be a much more tragic, like her mother would have been a much younger age. Like it wouldn't, it wouldn't have been like, Oh, grandma was, you know, she was like 90 something. And and then, you know, like, and they're like it's sad, neither, but it's, like neither of them are like old in the movie either. No. So no, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're they're you know they're both in their thirties, so, like, yeah. mid thirties. Presumably 40s. their parents are also not not super particularly old, yet. old. Yeah, and so yeah, it, it being her grandma just makes more sense, and it it doesn't add unnecessary like drama. Yeah, I think I to, to distract from the more important stuff going on. Uh, I, the movie doesn't explain this and I thought it was interesting. So he's been digging the whole backyard up trying to find, he, he's like, I got to dig because mm-hmm. he has another vision in the movie theater and the screen says dig. He's like, I got to dig because I'll find the body or something. Um, and he digs up their entire backyard, doesn't find anything. And then he realizes in the basement, he's like, maybe here in the basement. And so he's got to get a pickaxe and he's jackhammer and he's digging up the basement concrete floor. And then we, we kind of cut forward some and he's on the phone with his wife She's calling to check in because she's up at the funeral. And he says, oh, I'm doing much better. And obviously we know, obviously, he's still digging. But then he walks through to go back down to the basement. And the entire floor of their dining room is destroyed. Like, he chopped up. Yeah. And I didn't understand what was going on there. Because he, other than for a distinct visual moment of that juxtaposition of him saying he's fine and then immediately seeing something mm-hmm. like that, that, that sort of visual irony of him being like, I'm fine instantly. Like the living, the, the dining room yeah. is destroyed, but it doesn't really make sense with, he hasn't, he's been consumed by this thing in the movie, but he hasn't been like irrational necessarily. Yeah. Like he's digging in the backyard. Cause he thinks there's a body. He gets into the basement. It's like, Oh, maybe there's a basement body in the basement. The dining room floor is just over. I don't know. I didn't understand what the goal would have been. And if so, is that in the book? And if so, um, is there an explanation? <laughs> there is no extreme home remodeling okay. in the book. There is a body. He does eventually find a body. Um, and it is under the house, but it's just kind of lightly buried in the crawl space. Yeah. That's directly under the house in the book. I'm not sure why he would be destroying the dining room. Uh, maybe he has a moment where he thinks maybe she's like directly under the floorboards. Yeah, I guess that's possible because the dining room isn't over the basement. 
Mm-hmm. So maybe there is like a crawl space or something mm-hmm. underneath the di- I guess that's possible, yeah. We just don't see it. Yeah. Which which makes sense for the reveal that we don't see it happen, but I was still very confused at like it looks like he just destroyed the floor for no real reason. I was like, <laughs> "What? What happened there?" Okay. So as he's digging, uh and the moment he finds the body, he ends up breaking through a wall and uh <laughs> Uh, mm-hmm. Sam has been has been walled up cask of Amontillado style. Yeah. Uh, and is behind, you know, like in the wall, basically. Uh, and he finds her body and he has a vision of, you know, he grabs her and he gets the whole flashback and sees everything that happened in like her final moments. As this is happening, one of the neighbor boys, the other neighbor boy who was responsible. So the one shot himself, mm-hmm. Frank's son, who was there. The other one who is responsible is just staring through the window watching this happen. So now he knows that Kevin Bacon knows, or at least has found the body. He doesn't, he doesn't know that he knows that they did it, but he knows he found the body, which is what leads to ultimately them showing him and his dad showing up and the whole climax. So he has to see it, but this felt like very clunky screenwriting and like, there's no real reason for this kid to be spying on. Yeah. Kevin I mean, he Bacon. does see him bringing in like the equipment to bust up the yeah, that the okay, basement. That's fair. Honestly, what would make more sense to me is the the if the um the dad who yeah. is the guy who is who is these the landlord the landlord yeah because we have a scene of him being like I rented you know you're that's a rental like he hears him jackhammering and shit. Yeah. It would make more sense if he came over to see what he was up to. Yeah, and saw it and. And then left, you know, like that's how it happened. It seems weird to me that the kid is there, but whatever. Um, Does that happen in the book? Because I found that to be a very weird coincidence. No. Okay. So after he finds the body, Kevin Bacon's first instinct, uh, and he explains why, I will give them this, uh, is not to call the police, but to go to his neighbor, Frank, because he knows Frank's son was involved in the murder. Mm Mm-hmm. And he tells Frank, I got something to show you. I wanted to show you this. And like I said, he does explain it. I wanted to show you this because I didn't want you to hear. I'm going to call the cops, but I didn't want you to hear from the cops or from your wife. I just wanted you to find out from me or whatever. And so, and I'm like, this is the worst idea. It's like so clearly, obviously, immediately the worst idea ever. But he brings Frank over to show him the body. And we, it's revealed to us that Frank knew about this. Yeah. He Uh, helped cover it up. He helped cover it up. And, uh, he basically is like, get out of here. And the implication being that he's, he's so racked with guilt, then he can't deal with it. And he's going to kill himself. Um, and we hear a gunshot mm-hmm. off, off screen. Uh, does any of that happen in the book? No. Okay. Uh, and it is a stunningly <laughs> terrible idea. I like, I know we get an explanation for it. So there's that at least, but if there's ever a time to just call the damn police, yeah. it's when you find a cask of Amontillado'd body in your basement. Yeah. Just call the cops, man. Yeah. You call the non-emergency line. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, like, hey. body in my basement. Just, Love it if uh, you can get our detective out here or something. Just uh, found a false wall with a, a dead body behind it yeah. in my rental home. Gonna need some assistance. Yeah. Yes. It's <laughs> wild. Uh, terrible idea. Like I said, they do try to explain it, but boof. Um, and then uh, there's one last little detail that I thought was interesting is that she's going to go. So Maggie's at the funeral, but she's going to go home 
to meet up uh, to to pick up Kevin Bacon and bring him back so because so that he can get some time away. Blah blah blah. As she's going, she's like, "Hey, Jacob, come with me." And Jacob says, "I don't want to go." And she's like, "Why?" And he says, "The feathers." And she's like, "I don't know what that means." And leaves. And then as uh, everything happens at the end, she gets their big shootout. You know, the the, the other yeah, dad shows up. And there's a scuffle. There's a scuffle. They're gonna murder her and Kevin Bacon. And Frank didn't kill himself. He's there. Ha! Ah, surprise. Uh, shoots them. Uh, saves the day. And then you know. But as the other dad is dying, the landlord guy, he shoots once through the ceiling and a mm-hmm. bullet goes through Jacob's bed, through his pillow and feathers yeah. spray through the so air. So like presumably where he would have been laying asleep. No, okay. No, because he wouldn't be there sleeping because she would have brought him... Well, no, I know that. Yes. But presumably where he would have been sleeping had he stayed there. Yes. But he doesn't say it when they're leaving. And she goes, it's not like, oh, do you want to stay with dad? And he goes, no, I'm scared of the feathers. That would make more sense because he would have been laying there. But in this version where he's already gone and she's like, do you want to come back? He would have been in the car probably. Well, no, I know that. I know. I'm just saying that. It makes sense for him to have been afraid specifically of the feathers because it's his bet. I, yes, I get that. I don't know if it tracks. To me, it felt like the movie forcing a clever, like... I agree. ...little final twist a, a moment at the clever, end. A clever, like, M. Night Shyamalan kind of a thing yes. at the end there. Like, oh, the feathers. Oh, the feathers. And it's yeah. like, well, but he wouldn't have been in the bed. He would have been, like probably in the car like she yeah would, or she would have been like here stay in the car i gotta go inside and see what's going on like that's what would have happened although so, given the bad decisions made at the end of this movie maybe she'd have taken him inside with her inside, i don't yeah. know nothing but bad decisions to be fair but anyways because it felt like the movie's attempt at sort of a clever like haha mm-hmm. last little thing I wanted to know if it was from the book or if something that I accurately diagnosed as the movie, the, the screenwriter <laughs> trying to be a little too clever. It is not from the book. Okay. So okay. a couple more points off for the screenwriter there. Yeah. So many good moments. Uh, the ending is the weakest part of the movie. It's still sure. enjoyed yeah. it. Still okay overall. But uh, the ending is definitely has some some weak points. All right. I've got one question for Lost in Adaptation. Just show me the way to get out of here and I'll be on my way. Wow. Yes, yes, and I want to get unlost as soon as possible. It's a simple one. What is it with all the orange juice specifically? Uh, don't know. There's nothing about orange juice in the book. I cannot help here. Maybe it's Kevin Bacon's favorite breakfast beverage. I don't know. My guess. So just to clarify for people who haven't seen the movie specific or you haven't seen the movie, I I mentioned earlier that he gets very thirsty mm-hmm. after he has his visions. And he always needs something to drink and it becomes a running gag, but it becomes a gag that he specifically likes orange juice and he has a refrigerator just full of orange yeah. juice at one point. He, and I, he aggressively drinks orange juice yes. at his wife. Yes, he does. He does sit down <laughs> across the table from her and aggressively drink orange juice at her. Uh, but I thought it was interesting that it maybe is a minute made because it's Minute Maid oh, Orange a minute Juice. Made commercial. Is it a Minute Maid <laughs> product tie-in? Because it you distinctly see that it's Minute Maid several times in yeah. the movie. And I was wondering if they were just like, well, he's huh. got to drink something. Why not Minute Maybe Maid? Maybe Minute Maid will give us some money. 
He's just have a refrigerator. It does kind of make you want some orange juice because he does drink it so aggressively. It looks so satisfying. It does. It really does. Yeah. And I'm like, that's eh, not the worst idea for like covert marketing. So that's my guess why it was in the movie, but who knows? Oh, uh, that would be kind of funny from like Minute Maid's perspective, though. Like, come by our murder juice. He didn't murder anybody. <laughs> But it's a movie about murder. Yeah. But when you've been Ghost digging, juice. when you're solving murders and you're super exhausted and tired and need some energy, pound a glass of Minute Maid. Minute Maid's got your back. You've been out in your backyard digging holes all day trying to find the body of a young murdered woman. Minute Maid orange juice is the only drink that satisfies. <laughs> I don't know. Like, I really want that to have been an actual tie-in commercial. <laughs> They should, they should, I mean, it's, this would be, it would be perfect if this movie had been like popular and cultural enough of a thing like yeah. The Shining. Or if it were to become like a cult classic, yes. like now, like after the fact. Like, yeah, if it had had the cult, like the, the, um, uh, the cultural impact and importance of The Shining. Yeah. And to have Kevin Bacon, a, a commercial that is just Kevin Bacon digging holes in his backyard. And he's like, <laughs> turns the camera. When I've been out in my backyard all day digging holes, nothing satisfies my thirst like a nice cold glass of Minute Maid orange juice. <laughs> and like eight people would understand the reference, but it would be fan I mean, he's doing commercials. We just saw him literally yesterday yeah. in a, like a some sort of a phone commercial or something. Uh, somebody get on Minute Maid. Uh, one of your marketing people needs to get on the, get on that. It could be a great social media campaign. Yeah. Again, for right. the twelve people yeah. who, it's not that. It's uh, more people know about it than that, but it's. It, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it'll be fun. All right, it's time to find out what was better in the book. You like to read? Oh yes, I love to read. What do you like to read? Everything. One of the first immediate changes that I noticed was that um, they changed Anne slash Maggie's sibling. In the book, she has a brother named Phil. In the movie, she has a sister named Lisa. Mm -hmm. And Phil, it's, he's still the one who hypnotizes Tom, um, but we know that he is at college. He's getting a psychology degree, which okay. is how he knows about hypnosis. And I feel like there are maybe some slight misogynistic overtones to that change. Like the psychology degree becomes a girl who's into woo shit. Y yes. And, and then like I get that this kind of element is going to play more hokey to an audience in the 90s than in the 50s probably yeah so maybe they were just trying to like kind of lean into that yeah but it feels misogynistic to me it definitely does um it feels like a very 90s thing to do yeah like both in the fact that it is misogynistic but also in that it's just that that like the the, the playing that character that that is a very 90s type of character mm -hmm. like the sister-in-law who's into woo shit and yeah. like you know you, you know smokes weed and yeah, like reads tarot and cards like, and stuff yeah, and watches the craft every weekend yeah and, yeah, yeah. It, it definitely it's a tropey type of character already but it is a trope that is inherently misogynistic yeah. so uh yeah I, I would agree with that 
Um, in the book, there is kind of a lighter moment after Tom comes out from under hypnosis where he obeys a post-hypnotic command and they're just like all hanging out and talking and then he just randomly takes off his shoe and puts it in the refrigerator. <laughs> and I think the movie could have maybe benefited from a lighter but still kind of weird and off-putting moment right at the beginning there. Yeah, I definitely think that could have been a fun moment to have uh, that would have, yeah. Because not a lot of... There is some humor throughout, even mm-hmm. even in the like wacky, like even in, like some of the it's, it's sort of humor of the uh, ridiculousness of the situation. Like there's a, like yeah. the whole scenes where he's digging up the backyard and stuff, and it's just like it's so over the top, and that there is humor to it. But I think that would have been a fun scene to have. There is an interesting moment in the book where Tom collapses at work, and it turns out that Anne, at home being a housewife was hit on the head by a can falling in the pantry at like the exact same moment. So he like somehow felt what she was feeling and knew that something was wrong. Huh. Yeah. So that's it, kind of interesting. Yeah. That's not something the movie does at all. Uh, he also predicts a really horrific train accident in the book that like kills a bunch of people. Hmm. Uh, he has a dream about like this horrible train accident and he like wakes up and he's half asleep and he writes down like everything he can remember and goes back to sleep. And then when he gets up in the morning, all of the like news stations on the radio are yeah. reporting about this horrifying accident that killed dozens. Isn't there something similar in the movie or am I misremembering? I don't remember anything similar to that. I could have swore there was. Oh, boy. No, I can't remember. I thought there was something that happened. And um, never mind. I'm not even going to try to speculate. But that, that's <laughs> something about that rung like a bell in my memory from the film. But I, I could be wrong. I mentioned earlier that the book has this doctor character that Tom goes to see. And it turns out that this doctor super buys into the idea of like psychic communication between people. His whole idea in the book is that he believes that like way back at the beginning of human history, we might have like at some level communicated psychically with each other, like before we fully developed language. Mm-hmm. And he's like, and I believe that all humans still have like the latent ability and some of us are able to tap into it and some of us can't blah, blah, blah. Um, And I I don't know the history here. Maybe that kind of thing was being explored scientifically in the 1950s. You are nodding yes at me. I mean, even later than I mean, like the government and stuff was doing experiments into and I don't mean that like conspiratorial like 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 legitimately trying to figure out if this was a thing that could happen with Mm -hmm. like mk ultra there's a whole lot of woo nonsense conspiracy shit about mk ultra but it was a program that existed where the government was trying to figure out if they could like mind control people and like if people psychics were real like it and 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 all the way up all the way through like the 70s i think that was a thing that lots of people were medicine didn't really be we didn't really understand like anything until like the <laughs> 70s or 80s was like when medicine became good uh relatively um and so it wouldn't surprise i mean there there you could probably still find no shortage or not no shortage you could probably find the rare odd like you know certified psychologist today who would buy into stuff like yeah. that i think probably in the 50s it would not be super uncommon to find would be my guess yeah. to find psychologists and stuff who thought that was you know was like a working theory or something i mean he does like kind of imply in the book that like his colleagues think he's yeah a little a little odd yeah um but knowing that history i mean it does 
make more sense that maybe Richard Matheson was just inspired by that kind of stuff and like yeah. looking to explore it via this book. Mm-hmm. Um, to me, that part came off as kind of weird as like a modern person in 2021 yeah. reading about him going to a doctor and his doctor being like, yeah. well, actually, yeah, you actually, could, you be, could psychic. be psychic. Yeah. Um, however, I do still think it's better than what the movie tried to shoehorn in, which was our magical black man that Maggie went to see and then we never hear from or about ever again. Yeah. I agree. And I think you could even do that in in a, in a, in a modern day movie by just having it, the person be like kind of a, a like a doctor, like somebody who there are plenty of doctors yeah. out there who believe all kinds of nonsense. Yeah. Like it, you you can find them. It's not hard. And you could have a scene where somebody, you know, somebody's like, oh, th- this guy, he's, you know, I mean, it, you could it could just come from the sister in law character. Yeah. Yeah. He could be like, hey, you hypnotized me and I'm having all these problems. And she could be like, oh, go see dr so-and-so yeah yeah he got kicked out of his medical practice because he's you know he tried to publish he's, a paper about how, yeah yeah whatever <laughs> and have it yeah i they could totally do it that yeah. way and i think it would be make a lot more sense than than just have like yeah like you said the magical black character trope yeah. so the end of this book is I had a lot of thoughts about it, more of which I will get to later in other segments. Okay. Um, but at the end of the book, uh, the character of Elizabeth, who... Who is that? Is, it's Frank's wife Okay. in the book. Frank, We see Frank's wife in the movie, like, once. Yeah. Well, she's the one... She's in a, a couple scenes, but in the yeah. movie, she's literally just there to be, like, disgusted by Frank being a creep. Like, yeah. Frank's just, like, uh, into other women, and she's just mm-hmm. like, uh, that pig. Like, that's all she does in the film at yeah. all. Um. So, at the end of the book, Elizabeth is revealed to have been the murderer. Oh. And she tries to attack Tom and Anne to further cover up her crime. And at that point, when they're, like, trying to get away from her because she has a gun— the ghost somehow appears to her and that's like how they're able to escape because the ghost like appears and Elizabeth and, like, is like freaked out, out yeah. by it. Um, and I feel like it could have potentially been cool if the movie had done something similar. Maybe I could see it being cheesy just as easily, but I feel like it still might have been cool to give Samantha the chance to confront one of her murderers. I agree. I think if there would have been a way, I don't know how they necessarily would have done it. Yeah. But I think, you know, maybe if you could do it without it being cheesy, I think maybe the way to do it, which would have been interesting, would have been because they established earlier. And maybe this is the cool way to do it um, is they established earlier that she can speak through people who are psychic. Mm -hmm. Specifically, we see her say like one thing through Jacob. Yeah. She says, I don't even remember what she says, but she clearly like his, her, his voice changes and it's like creepy, you know, ghost voice. I think that's the way you do it as opposed to like a corporeal ghost appearing to them. I think she inhabits Kevin Bacon. And that is something that happens in the book. Yeah. Like before the climax, the ghost does like inhabit Tom and speak through him. Yeah. And and so I think that's how you do it. I think she inhabits Tom and speaks through him. And that just stuns it. Like she says something that only they know or something that that or that, you know, that 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 is strikes bad. Like, you know, something specific from the moment where they murdered her or something. Um, and, And his voice is obviously all creepy and weird. 
and uh, that like takes them back, and then you give her that moment to to confront them and dress them down. <laughs> That's not the best way to put it, but you know what I mean. <laughs> like you give her that moment to talk to her murderers and and say her piece, mm-hmm. and that distracts them long enough that then Frank shows up in the same way in the movie. Then maybe Frank shows up and yeah. shoots them or whatever. Yeah. Um, I think that would be a much not much. I, I like overall liked kind of how the movie ended, but I think that would be a really cool addition mm-hmm. if that had happened. Yeah, and no, I agree. Um, for sure. That yeah, that's a cool idea. I like that idea a lot. All right, let's go ahead and find out what the movie did better. My life has taught me one lesson, Hugo, and not the one I thought it would. Happy endings only happen in the movies. I much preferred our two main characters in the movie. They have way more personality. Um, in the book, Tom and Anne slash Maggie are kind of personality-less. Yeah. I mean, Tom's a little better than Anne. Anne is basically like a non-character. Every conversation that they had was like the most boring thing I'd ever read. Um, basically their only conflict comes from Tom maybe becoming psychic yeah. and it's just so boring. Yeah. The movie is also a lot creepier than the book is. Um, the part where he pulls his tooth, the random flashes showing what happened to Samantha, the mm-hmm. super creepy little kid breaking the fourth wall. I thought all of that was great. Um, this movie Definitely would have scared the snot out of me had I seen yeah. it like a decade or so ago. Yeah, I'm a little, absolutely. I'm a little more jaded now. <laughs> yeah. Um, but definitely, like a handful of years ago, I would not have been happy to find no. myself on the other end of this movie. No, it was very creepy. I really liked the idea of aging up their son and having him be seeing slash talking to the ghost. A disclaimer that I am not super horror film literate, but I think this is the only example that I have seen of a movie that does this by breaking the fourth wall. And I thought that worked really well to up the creepy factor of it. Yeah, I agree. Like, yeah, yeah, it is the only one. Again, I'm very similar where my my horror film um, (coughs) canon, you know, knowledge is not not vast. Uh, by any stretch, but it's the only one that I that jumps to my mind where the where we do like that creepy, yeah, straight down the camera talking to ghosts, but it's fourth wall breaking. <sighs> yeah, there were definite improvements to Frank's character in the movie. In the book, he is super sleazy, a super womanizer, um, cheater, really nasty to his wife. Uh, it's implied that he probably beats her. Mm. Um, in the movie, he might have helped cover up the murder, but at least he feels bad and comes through for Tom and Maggie in the end. He does feel bad about it. He is a, a bit of a sleaze. Um, yeah. Yeah. We get we get a little bit of that yeah. at the beginning, yeah. but n- not to the, the length that the okay. book takes it. Okay. And he lives at the end. What is that? He lives at the end of the oh, book. Oh, in the book. He's horrible. Because he does in the movie. And yeah. he lives. Yeah. What's that about? I don't know. Well, we haven't really discussed what actually happens at the end of the book, so are we going to talk about that at some point? Um, yes. Okay. I mean, we did kind of talk about it a little bit, but I feel like we haven't broken down. Well, I guess we did. I just wasn't paying attention during Yeah, you weren't paying the... attention. Okay, sorry. So we did. Eh, anyways, I forgot about that. <laughs> 
I like that the movie actually does something with the babysitter character and connects her to the larger storyline instead of it having it, having it be a weird one-off incident. Mm-hmm. So there is something similar that happens in the book. They hire a babysitter and Tom gets a weird vibe from her and they rush back home when he can't shake the feeling that something's wrong. And they like find her in the backyard with the baby and... The way that this all ends up is that she was like trying to kidnap their son, but then that story element never comes back or like connects to anything else. And it was just so weird to me because even as I was reading it, I was like, okay, this can't possibly be the whole story. I bet she like saw the ghost and freaked out or something, right. but we never come back to it. She just was trying, she to, was kidnap just trying to kidnap the baby. And it, and it's wild, too, because I feel like that incident only served two purposes in the book, one of which was as a demonstration of Tom's powers, of which there are plenty of other examples of demonstrating his powers. Yeah. And two was to, like, prove to Anne that he wasn't just, like, making this up and being weird. Yeah. Which ends up being a moot point because for the whole entire book, she, like, kind of believes him but kind of doesn't, and she never really sways from that despite multiple instances where he's correct about something. Yeah. So I'm I'm not I'm just not really sure what the book was trying to do with that and I preferred the movie's tactic of connecting it to the ghost and the murder. Yeah, so just to clarify cuz I didn't go through this in the movie thing. If you haven't seen the movie, the babysitter is the sister of the girl who's missing. Yeah. And uh she he says the the, the Jacob says something about Samantha and she's like how do you know who that is and mm-hmm. then is taking the baby to her mom. Yeah. Taking Jacob to her mom just so they can try to get information. Like, how does he know? You know, it's still. Yeah. But it makes a little more. It like it, it's a very strange scene at first in the movie because like what she just took the baby and ran. What? Yeah. Um, but then, it you know, the idea of this, she's like a teenager and she doesn't know what to do. She's like, this kid knows something about my missing sister. Like, yeah. she just kind of freaks out and is like, ah, I got to get I got to do something. Um, so it kind of works. I will say my only guess for w- the fact that it's unresolved in the book is that maybe it's playing into a more of like tropes of the time in the sense of, so th- I looked up the date and it's not as, it wasn't as close to it as I thought it was, but there was a big cultural event in the thirties that involved a child, a, a one-year-old being abducted. Mm-hmm. And that was the Lindbergh baby. Right. And I was thinking maybe it's just sort of like, because that is a thing in the psyche of, people of that time period of just the idea of their child being like abducted out of their crib or whatever Mm -hmm. uh, which isn't really a thing these days people worry about you know what i mean so much right at least not that specific thing more you know nowadays it's more of like being out on the street and being whatever so i it was like that could be the only thing i where maybe he he they thought it would be an interesting way to work in like a, a sort of traditional not traditional but like a sort of timely Mm-hmm. horror element that is like yeah. of the time period i don't know yeah just a just a guess um it, yeah to me it was just strange because i feel like that's like an entire other story yeah that kind of happens in the middle of this book and then doesn't go anywhere yeah 
I like that the movie leans into the idea of like the neighborhood and all of their neighbors having secrets, yeah. which is something that is kind of present in the book, but not a whole lot is done with it. Like the the character of Elizabeth in the book ends up being obviously having a lot going on, but that's pretty much where the intrigue ends. Whereas I felt like the movie kind of took that idea and pushed it a little bit further. Yeah, where yeah, it's it's multiple of the kids yeah. and their dads. All yeah, it's involved like a neighborhood this. conspiracy. It is like a neighborhood conspiracy, and I I like. There's also this sort of. Um, I mean, it's repeated multiple times, twice, once during the deja vu scene, but then at the very end, which that's actually a clever thing about the deja mm-hmm. vu scene, too. It actually forecasts the end of the film. Yes. As well as what's yes. about to happen, um, where Frank says, uh, I, I couldn't I don't remember the exact line. I couldn't. I couldn't let them kill you or something. Mm-hmm. This is a this is a decent neighborhood. Yeah, he said that that kind of idea is repeated throughout yeah, it's the, a decent the movie. Neighborhood. It's a decent neighborhood. This is a nice neighborhood. And I, there's definitely sort of that like loss of innocence that um that desperate clinging to a an idyllic yeah kind perception of, like, this, like, of, of, of like suburbia, of suburbia and yeah. like a, a close knit neighborhood. Yeah, that in fact when you peel back, yeah. Uh, when you peel back the bricks in the basement, turns out it's not the I- idyllic. I think that is one of the weaker things that the movie could have done more of mm-hmm. is played up visually that aspect. Now, it's not a suburb like we're in like a city suburb. Like it's right. it's not yeah. like your typical like suburb suburb, you know, that you expect yeah. from this kind of thing. It is more of a like, again, like a suburb in a city where mm-hmm. it's like. But I think they could have played up visually more of that theme. I think if they wanted to make that theme land a little bit more, which it does work, I think they could have played up. And they do, I guess, in terms of like we see like block, you know, they're going over to each other's house and hanging out. They have like that block party. They go to the football game together. Like there are elements of the story that play up the idea of this close knit neighborhood and sort of this idyllic. Yeah. um, Yeah. uh, Americana sort of idea. But. I think just purely like cinematically, visually, the movie could have done more with that and to elevate it beyond. And I don't have ideas off the top of my head, but I was just thinking back that nothing um, stuck out to me in the way that certain properties that commenting on similar something like Pleasantville or Mm -hmm. something like even WandaVision more recently that does um, do more visual the, representation the aspects of suburbia yes yeah um representing that visually i think that could have elevated the film beyond which is our it's already a pretty good movie but i think that if there had been a director who was really stylistic i think they could have done something really interesting with it but anyway yeah uh, my last note here i thought the movie had a much better through line with tom becoming obsessed with finding out what happened to samantha The book, I think, attempts to do the same with the ghost of Helen, but it seems much more focused on just exploring Tom's powers above anything else. So the plot ends up meandering quite a bit. And then at the end, it's like, oh, yeah, there's a ghost. Yeah. So real quick, just for me, since I missed the (laughs) what who is the ghost and what happened in the book? All right. Just real quick. So the ghost is the sister of his landlady who previously lived in his house. 
and they thought that she had moved away, but really she was murdered. And it's implied that um, his landlord, her brother-in-law, murdered her to, like, cover up this affair that they were having. But what actually happened was that Elizabeth, Frank's wife, murdered her because she was also having an affair with Frank. Oh, okay. She was just getting around the neighborhood. Basically. And Elizabeth found out and murdered her. Okay. Yes. Okay, cool. I just wanted to just to see what the two differences we had here going on were, because that's obviously very different than, yeah. than the story in the film, which I don't even know if I explained that Samantha was just like a young uh, high school girl in the neighborhood who was just uh, assaulted and murdered by two teenage boys mm-hmm. because, you know, for no real reason. They were just one of them or both of them were just creeps or whatever. Um, so, yeah. And then it's her story. Okay. Interesting. All right. We got a few things that the movie nailed. As I expected, practically perfect in every way. Uh, so some similarities between the book and the movie. Tom's wife is pregnant in both, albeit she is more pregnant in the book. She's like much closer to mm-hmm. giving birth. Um, whereas in the movie, we've like ju- just, just found yeah. out that she's pregnant. She doesn't even look pregnant no. yet. They do go to a party next door while their kid is asleep. Uh-huh. I thought taking the baby monitor was a nice modern update. Yeah, I'm not sure that that really pans out. I don't know how far the reach is on a baby monitor, but yeah, I don't. I don't know the reach, but I thought it was a nice. Um, not only is it a nice modern update, but I thought it was also just a nice way to because in particular too we see it's a nice moment of characterization for both of them but for mm-hmm. Kevin Bacon in particular he seems very he, he always has it he's not like you know because you, you would get the vibe like maybe that's a little irresponsible but we also see they're literally right across the street yeah. he can see the bedroom window and he has the baby monitor and he he does seem like very attached to it and like concerned mm-hmm. and like making you know he's yeah. like very he's not like is he didn't just bring it so he could like have like excuse himself to like go get drunk and like fuck you know do whatever he wanted. Um, he 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 very clearly is like okay we'll go to the party but he wants to be responsible and I think it's a nice little bit of mm-hmm. characterization to get us to like empathize and and like Kevin Bacon's characters. So. Yeah, no, I agree, and it's also a good setup for us knowing that the baby monitor exists. Yes. Yeah. When Tom is being hypnotized, it's basically the same dialogue, like about the movie theater mm-hmm. and everything. Which that I read, it was basically is very similar. Like it, they based that on actual, mm-hmm. like if you're trying to hypnotize somebody, kind of, kind of, um, you know, that yeah. kind of uh, script. Um, and then when he wakes up, he can't remember anything that happened while he was hypnotized, but the party recounts some weird stuff that he did and said. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tom just knowing that one of his wife's relatives died. We talked about that. Uh, and his wife does leave for the funeral with their son and he stays home. Although in the book, it's more because she like doesn't want to be around him. Yeah. Than him like being like, but Obsessed I need with... to stay home and yeah. dig. Uh, and he kind of just mopes around and drinks beer as opposed to dismantling their entire house. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Okay, we've got a few things in the odds and ends before we get to the final verse. So 
So one of the first things that I noticed in this movie, uh, we open up and their son is taking a bath and he must have been hella dirty because that bath water looks like it came from a swamp. It's very green. At the beginning of this movie. My only other thought was that maybe it was like they put something in it, like bubble bath and the bubbles like had all worn off. You know what I mean? Like a dye to it. Yeah. Yeah, Because like sometimes you could get like a, blue or pink bubble bath that'll yeah. turn it dirt like yeah. and so maybe it was like a green bubble bath that but like the it bubbles was so distracting gone. to yeah. me right off the bat i was like what is wrong with their water but then the wife fills the bathtub later and it looks fine it looks, so obviously yeah. it was not just the water yeah i don't know it was, it was interesting uh I, and I thought this was interesting that kid the kid who plays jacob this is his only credited role he didn't hmm. do anything else after he this. did not go on he to did not go on to continue pursue acting. an acting career no. i thought he was really good yeah he did a really good job i thought um you know and i get a lot of that had probably has to do with directing and and, mm-hmm. and especially with a child that young it's yeah there's a lot you know getting the performance out of them uh but yeah he did a great job but yeah never acted again he was in he had one uncredited role before this in something it's like an Adam Sandler movie. It was something mm-hmm. weird. He just had like some small uncredited I always role. do like wonder how they get kids to be creepy like that. Like what kind of direction? I, I because know. to me, like if you tell a kid like, okay, you're going to try to scare everybody. They're going to be like, rawr or something. You yeah. know what I mean? Oh no, you definitely don't tell them that. You definitely. <laughs> yeah. I think part of it is just finding the right kid. And then yeah. I'm sure a lot of it is just, okay, now say it. I'm not even, I don't know. Yeah, I don't, I, yeah. I, I couldn't even begin to not tell you like, how to direct like, kids. Oh, I want you to like whisper this or something. Yeah. Yeah, yeah they, there's that. Yeah, there's whispering. And I'm sure there's there's lots of different ways to pull performances out of kids. You know, I don't know. I want you to sing this, but really slowly. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure that is a lot of things like that. Okay, yeah. sing it, but sing it slow. Can you sing it slower than that? Okay, can you sing it slower than that? You know, like without, and they don't know that what they're doing is creepy. Right. They're just like, okay, I'll sing it as slow as I can. <laughs> Um, Kevin Bacon's accent. I am bad at judging accents. This one made me cringe a little at parts. I didn't notice it at all. So when you just said accent, I I was like, did he have an accent? He has like a Chicago accent. Yeah. I, I'll take it. I, to me, it just sounded, he sounded like fine. I don't know. If anybody wants to weigh in on Kevin Bacon's Chicago accent, I am truly very bad at judging accent work. I'm so terrible I'm, at I'm it. I'm not a good person and to talk about this. I'm terrible at it. And in particular, with something as subtle as like a Chicago land accent, that's a very like, it's not a distinct like. I felt like it was very distinct. Really? Yeah. I'm trying to even think in my head what that sounds like. And I can't place it now. So I don't I don't even know. I It didn't stand out to me at all. Um, but <laughs> So if if anybody wants to weigh in on that, uh, if we have any, um, <laughs> any native, accent, uh, native Chicagoans oh, or... Yeah. Uh, people who know a lot about accents. Yeah. Well, that's way in. Yeah. I, I, yeah. Like you said, I'm also very bad at it. It's yeah. rare that I'll be like, ugh, that sounds bad. It has to be really, to really, be really, really bad. bad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I think more of it with this was that I could just tell that he was doing an accent. So I was like, I wonder how that accent is because I truly don't know. Huh. I thought the theater, the scene where he uh, gets hypnotized and he's in the theater and she tells him and it's like, okay, you're in a theater. And then 
uh, and everything's dark. And, like, they do this, like, visual effect where mm-hmm. it's, like, all the, the walls turn black and the scene yeah. was really cool. It, yeah, like, it, it looks was really like gnarly. it was, like, being covered in tar or yeah, something. Yeah, it was super cool. Um, or, like, the darkness from Kingdom Hearts or whatever it was. <laughs> it was, like, covering everything. It looked super cool. I was, like, I was very impressed with, um, I mean, they did a lot. It was, like, the only real visual, like, you know, CG effect in the movie. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure. Because uh, other than that, it's it's all, you know, there's not like a ton of effects in it. But I thought that one was uh, very effective. It was really cool. Here's the thing that I thought was going to be made more of in the movie that didn't really go anywhere was Tom making himself look hella guilty asking everyone about the random teenage yeah, right? girl who vanished six months ago. Yeah. I was like, bro, you need to chill. You are making yourself look so guilty right now. Yeah, don't don't do that. That's not a good idea. Don't. That's a bad idea. It's a real bad <laughs> idea, man. It's a terrible idea. I thought the thing that was really interesting um, was we we talked about the theme of you know this existential crisis. This this guy who's feels like his life is pointless, kind of pointless, and his life has passed him by, uh, and he ends up without a purpose and that sort of thing. Uh, the idea of this m- sort of midlife existential crisis manifesting as a psychic ability, I thought was a super clever mm-hmm. sort of thematic through line to start our character with. And you, I was one of my questions was, was this from the book? And you, we talked about earlier that this isn't really a theme in the book. No, but I thought it was a clever way. So obviously the sort of this sort of crisis that he has is in the book, but to then tie that in the movie by setting it up with this, him having this sort of existential crisis about, yeah. about being, you know, f- almost 40 with a kid and another kid on the way um, and working as a, you know, a generic dead end job kind of um, and having given up on his, his big dreams of being a rock star. Um, but, but it not being all like, I think the thing that works best about it in the movie is that it's not, it doesn't all feel selfish Mm -hmm. specifically that one line that i mentioned where he's like hey when i was when we met and i told you i was going to do all this stuff i didn't want you to know i wasn't like lying you know i wasn't just like talking myself up you know and he feels guilty because he didn't live up to her expectations and it doesn't feel wholly selfish to me like this 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 midlife crisis it isn't just like him being like i want to go fuck a 20 year old like it you know what i mean (laughs) like that doesn't feel like what this moment is it's more of just like right that idea of him feeling like he like inadvertently deceived her yeah is such a as like it's a way more interesting approach yes. to the idea of like an existential or midlife crisis than like you said than like the generic like i'm gonna buy a sports car, sports car and, and fuck and, a college girl yeah yeah that and the feeling guilty that he deceived her and that he neither of their lives have turned into what they yeah. talked about them being when they were yeah. you know met when they were in their and 20s feeling like maybe oh maybe i've dragged her down yes and then I, so I love that setup and then time, especially because that setup into this thing where a midlife crisis in reality can manifest in weird obsessions like, you know, the uh, uh, weird uh, hobby obsession mm-hmm. or um, buying a sports car or this, that and the other. And that can be that those can be or, you know, uh, staying out late partying or whatever. And those can be the things that drive a wedge in your marriage. But in this story, it's in fact he... <laughs> He has this weird, like, hypnosis experience 
and is now psychic. And that is the thing. And he, he's, you know, he's digging holes in their backyard. But it, a lot of their interactions, you could you could swap the dialogue mm-hmm. into a like not a rom-com, but like a, 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 a movie about like a falling out, like a marriage story or whatever. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I haven't seen marriage story, but <laughs> something like that where, you know, it's a it's a it's a middle aged couple having a falling out um, because their lives aren't what they expected them to be. I've, a lot of the dialogue that they have in these fights over him digging up the backyard because he he thinks there's a body down there and all that sort of stuff could one to one be swapped yeah. for into that other movie. And I thought that was a really clever sort of, mm-hmm. I don't know, like way to, uh, no, to, to tell the story. Definitely the movie does a really good job with those like thematic elements. Uh, to me, the book doesn't have a lot of really strong thematic elements. I'm sure there are themes present. Yeah. Nothing really jumped out at me. Yeah. As I was reading it. It really jumped out to me in the movie and I thought it was super, super well done and super clever. Yeah. Um, it doesn't really go anywhere necessarily because their life just like it doesn't have a great resolution. Maybe that's the point mm-hmm. in the sense that like, you know, they, they move. Right. And it seems like it's going to be OK. Maybe, but, but maybe not. Well, it seems like it's going to be OK, but it doesn't seem like anything's going to be better. Like it doesn't yeah. seem like that we've resolved necessarily that existential crisis in any sort of way. Like it doesn't seem like, oh, we're moving and he's he's going to start playing guitar. again. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. it doesn't feel like we're getting any sort of resolution thematically necessarily as so much as we get a resolution to the plot, right. which is a little disappointing, but yeah. Okay. My last thing that I want to mention here is a moment where the movie truly confused me because I, at the climax of this film did not at all understand why the landlord would be in on trying to cover up this murder. And you answered this question for me in your summary. But I I thought that both of the boys were Frank's sons. Like, I thought they were brothers. And then when, when he shows up, when the landlord shows up at the end, I was like... Why would he be in on this? <laughs> he has a really good reason to not want to hide a body in his rental yeah, house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, what's the Why is the whole neighborhood in on this murder? <laughs> but you answered that question for me, so yeah. good job. Yeah, his, the landlord's son was the other boy there. <laughs> yep. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, so my last note really is just that I, and I, I could have said this earlier, but I thought it was a pretty good movie. Yeah, well, we're going to find out what you thought, obviously, when we get to your uh, mm-hmm. your final verdict here in a second. But just to clarify my thoughts, I was actually, and, and we heard it was pretty good. Mm-hmm. Like um, April, when she was on and we mentioned we were doing it, she said she liked it, <laughs> remembered yeah. liking it at yeah. least. And it had good reviews. And I was actually very impressed. I was, uh, for, for a movie I had never heard of. I like literally mm-hmm. had felt like I'd never heard of this movie. I was I was very impressed. I I, I yeah, it was I'm good. a little bit. I mean, I guess it's not as flashy as some other horror movies. It's not. Yeah, but I I thought this was a really good movie. Yeah, I thought it was really good. I think the, I think the ending fails a little, sort of uh, falters yeah. a little bit in in so much as one, it's super. And I had a note about this. The ending is incredibly predictable. Yeah, like I knew what was coming as soon as like. I don't know where, but there was a point where I was like, okay, well, uh, as soon as, well, as soon as it, his son shot himself, as soon as Frank's son shot himself, I was like, all right. So the girl that we've been saying something happened, Frank's son killed mm-hmm. her. And like, that's what's going on. 
I say predictable. I didn't necessarily predict that all of the people were in on it that were in mm-hmm. on it until he goes to talk to Frank. As soon as he, as soon as he yeah. goes to Frank's door, I'm like, okay, well, Frank's gonna have been in on it. And yeah. Oh, great. Okay, like so, like it becomes more and more predictable as it went, which was a little disappointing. Right. Well, and it's it's kind of. It's kind of a pity, too, because you can see that that's an attempt at dramatic irony. Yeah. Where we, the audience, are like, no, don't go talk to Frank. Yeah. But he goes and he talks to Frank. I will say the movie got me in that I didn't expect Frank to not have killed himself. Him to show up Mm -hmm. and save the day, I thought, that was a twist that got me. Like, the the, I thought he had shot himself, obviously, you know. Yeah. And... and, I mean, I don't know what else he was shooting. Well, yeah. (laughs) I mean, they do play it at least that, like, he shot at Kevin Bacon once. So, like, he kind of just angrily shot you know or like out of frustration shot at the wall or something or maybe he was going to shoot himself and stopped at that who knows um but it wasn't it was a twist that got me that he shows up and ends up saving the day because i was like how the hell are they going to get out of this yeah um but uh yeah I, yeah and then the other thing i just mentioned is i, I wish they'd rounded rounded out the thematic through line of the, mm-hmm. the existential crisis found some way to like mm-hmm. do something with that at the end which mm-hmm. didn't really but whatever i don't know it was good it's a good movie all right final verdict oh uh, wait hold on before we get to the final verdict <laughs> we've got a couple things to talk about one you can follow us on facebook twitter social uh instagram goodreads all those places in particular we would love to hear your feedback about stir of echoes if you've seen the movie if you've read the book what you thought of it uh which you preferred and why we'll be putting out posts for that on friday two days from when you're listening to this uh we also would like to once again thank winchester's forever for requesting stir of echoes um it was a very yeah like we just mentioned we both enjoyed it a lot and uh it was one that we never would have and it was not on our Uh, list Lots of requests. Not on the radar. A lot of our requests end up being on our list already, but this was not one of them. So thank you for that. And finally, you can support us on Patreon by heading over to patreon.com slash thisfilmislit. Support us for $2, 5 or $15 a month. We would like to mention, once again, uh, we mentioned it in the prequel episode, but I want to mention here, we just put out a bonus patron-only episode, $5 and up patron-only episode where we spent two hours and 20 minutes talking about Tyler Perry's acrimony. We had thoughts. So if you want to hear us talk about Tyler Perry's acrimony for two hours uh, and give it the good, bad, or bad, bad treatment, uh, you can head over and support us for five bucks on Patreon and listen to that. We had lots of thoughts. It's um, it's something. That film is something else. Yeah. Yep. Let me tell you. Yep. All right. It's now time for the final verdict. Now, uh, are you ready for your sentence? Sentence? But there must be a verdict first. Sentence first. Verdict afterward. No shade to Richard Matheson. I respect the game. Uh, He's obviously well-regarded and important within the history of science fiction as a genre. Would you classify this as science fiction? Uh, Science fiction, horror, and maybe-ish. Yeah, to me, this is this is more. I mean, it's more horror than it is science fiction. Yeah, I would say like horror. But thriller. I think, especially if you put it within historical context, okay. it is exploring like sci-fi kind of ideas. That's fair, especially because the doctor character which yes. isn't in this one. Okay, yes. Um, and being totally fair, I have only read one of his books, so like maybe this wasn't his best. <laughs> uh, but to be honest, I found this book kind of boring. I thought the writing style was pretty bland and the story itself seemed more concerned with like 
kind of very passively exploring the idea of psychic powers rather than creating a cohesive and satisfying plot. It was one of those books where a lot of things happened, but also nothing happened. Mm. I also thought that the book tried too hard to have a twist ending with a surprise villain. Even surprise villains need to be properly set up. Mm -hmm. And my only reaction to Elizabeth being revealed as the murderer was, what a weird choice. It was Elizabeth all along. Uh, it, okay. <laughs> it was who? Um, but the book went too hard trying to cast doubt away from Elizabeth, constantly referred to her as weak, frail, quiet, etc., etc., to the point that she didn't feel like a viable option at the mm -hmm. end, like it wasn't even on my radar, and it just ended up falling flat for me. Now, the movie is really kind of loosely based on the book. The core premise, a man who gains psychic powers post-hypnosis and discovers the ghost of a murdered woman in his house, is the same, but most of the details and the trappings are pretty different. I thought that pulling in the focus to discovering what happened to the murdered woman helped the movie craft a better plot with stronger through lines. I also thought that having the teenage boys be the murderers worked because it was believable without having to spend a bunch of time and energy explaining it in the 11th hour like the book had to do with its murderer. While this movie isn't without its faults, I thought it did a better job of telling essentially the same story and was much creepier to boot. So for those reasons, I'm going to give this one to the movie. All right. Stir of Echoes conquers a stir of echoes <laughs> in the battle of the bacon. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, speaking of bacon, next up, we've got... Oh, my God. The best transition the I've ever done, You're and I didn't worst. even plan it. Speaking of bacon, coming up, what's our next film, Katie? Coming up <laughs> next, we will be talking about Babe, <laughs> the 1995 film and book, children's book, by Dick King Smith, which is titled either The Sheep Pig or Babe, The Gallant Pig, depending on where you live. Interesting. It was uh, it's, it's the sheep pig in England where it was originally uh, published, okay. and then it was published under a different title in America and possibly also Canada. I'm not okay. sure. Babe, the gallant pig, mm -hmm. the sheep pig. Yeah, because I was really confused because I didn't realize it was published under a different title, and then I went to look on Amazon for the sheep pig, and the only copy I could find of it was like. Four hundred dollars, and I was like, it's like "What the original is happening?" It's like a first edition or something. Um, but if, if you're looking for it, probably search for "Babe the Gallant Pig" instead. Okay. All right, that'll be coming up in two weeks' time. We're talking about Babe. Uh, next week, we will have a prequel episode where we do our follow-up for Stir of Echoes and uh, preview Babe, along with a little bit of a learning things segment. So, until that time, guys, gals, non-binary, everybody else. Keep reading books, keep watching movies, and, and keep, keep being, being awesome. awesome.